So we're, we're carrying on in our series, going through Luke's gospel. And so we've got into actually, we're going to start in Luke 19 and uh, starting in verse 47. So let's uh, listen to God's word. Every day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I'll ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Kate and I uh, had the joy, uh, I think, of some of, you, some of you know this, of going to uh, Jerusalem uh, and going to uh, Israel for a trip a few years ago. And one of the most memorable moments for me was when we were, we'd arrived at Jerusalem and we, we went to the Mount of Olives and then we just saw this vista, which I think we've got a picture of there, Scott, of um, the city of Jerusalem with the temple dome. Uh, and uh, no, I haven't put it in. Okay, never mind. Uh, we had this um, wonderful view suddenly of this temple uh, dome uh, there on the hill at Jerusalem. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about it because, of course, it was a magnificent temple. It was being renovated and rebuilt and developed by King Herod. It was the second temple after Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And it, he had lavished uh, Herod large sums of money on this temple. It was a complex of buildings uh, and uh, it was about a quarter of a mile square with the actual temple itself at the center crowning the city of Jerusalem, which itself crowned a hilltop and so you can imagine, can't you, this dome that was painted and covered in gold or in silver, and it kind of just gleams there on the uh, horizon, and it was a magnificent structure. And Jesus is coming into the temple. He's entered Jerusalem, as we know, through, as he came in on the donkey, and he was heralded as he entered into Jerusalem. And now he's come into the temple itself. And uh, Poe spoke very well last week. I listened to his talk about how Jesus turned the tables in the temple. And now he's teaching and he has this final conversation with the church leaders, the, the, the temple leaders, the Sanhedrin, uh, the top brass at the temple. And this is a sad conversation. It's a conversation which effectively, in which Jesus says that he has finished with the leaders of Israel. By the end of this conversation, he has nothing more to say to them. And the issue, the issue that is being discussed is the issue of authority. 
Authority is something we're all familiar with, of course. Uh, It's the permission to do something and the power to do something. I don't know if any of you have caught recently, I I have, uh, there's quite a few police dramas. It seems to be the big thing on the telly, doesn't it? Police dramas, blue lights, uh, you name it, uh, the the disappearance of Raoul Moat, etc. Happy Valley and all these different uh, things. And of course, you see these police, and the police have limited authority. They have authority, but of course, their authority is governed. And so they have to get, in terms of uh, stop and search, in terms of arrest, in terms terms of detaining people. They, they have authority, but it's delegated to them and it is limited as well. And they also have power. They have power, but it's also limited. Only a few police officers actually have guns and so on. So they, they have authority and they have power to some extent. But our world, of course, is familiar with the concept of authority. There's a, to some extent, we all of us have some level of authority, at the very least authority over our own lives, if not authority over other people in other situations. But we're also all under authority in different areas and different spheres of our lives. So we understand the concept of authority. But Jesus has a altogether qualitatively different type or level of authority. Jesus has both the ability to do things and the right to do things. He has all authority. There are no limits to his power. None can withstand his authority ultimately. There's a slide, which I I hope is there, uh, which kind of just summarizes some of the verses I found uh, that talk about Jesus' authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it tells us that all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. Jesus is answerable to no one. He has all authority. After he'd finished the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, people said, this is amazing. He speaks as one who has authority. See, the rabbis, when they uh, spoke, they would kind of say, well, Rabbi Simeon says this, and Rabbi Joseph says this, but Rabbi Benjamin, he says that we could also do this. So they're constantly citing other people's authority and quoting other people and other rabbis, you see. But Jesus speaks in his own right, and people are amazed at the authority he has. He has authority to forgive sins. That's an authority that belongs to God alone. And in Matthew 10, we see that he has authority over all forces of hell, over every demonic power. In John 1, we read that he has authority to save and to give life. And in John 5, we're told that he has authority to judge all men. In John 10, it tells us he has authority to lay his life down and to take it up again. He has authority over life and death. As Revelation memorably puts it, he has the keys to death and to Hades. And then finally, and I found this amazing verse in John 17, Jesus says, you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given to him. So here's the bottom line, folks. Jesus has all authority. He has authority over storms, over nature, over timing, over history, over every minute detail, over our history as well. Jesus has all authority 
over all things, at all times, in all places, over all people, in all circumstances, in all areas of life. He gets to determine where we are born, when we're born, what our DNA is, what our gender is, who our parents will be, what our future holds, how long we will live, when we will die. He has authority over life and death. We can't complain when, he take, when someone's life is taken because he gave it and he has the right to take it. He has all authority over everything. And so consequently, in his ministry as an adult, we find that Jesus never asks permission to do anything. It's quite striking, isn't it? He never has to ask anybody permission to do anything. He just does it. And this was shocking for the Jews and for the Jewish leaders. They're, they're used to delegated authority. And yet, Jesus seems to just assume authority. And not only that, but he uses his authority to go after the Jewish leaders and their whole system. So they were pretty uncomfortable with this authority that he seemed to be claiming to have. He went after their entire system. Jesus went after the Jewish leaders and their giving over their rituals, their sacrifices, their traditions, their fasting, their prayer, their self-righteousness, their sacred cows, all their sacred cows. He came and kind of slaughtered them. And you think, who is this guy? Just turns up and just turns our whole system upside down. Who is he? Here he is, this kind of, guy from the sticks turning up and seemingly challenging the leaders in every area of their, uh, their system. And he had no permission. This is the striking thing. Jesus didn't have a license. He, he didn't have um, a sanction. I mean, Scott, congratulations for passing your driving license yesterday. You know, we have to have a license to do things, don't we? To drive, to drive or whatever. Jesus had no license. He had no sanction. He wasn't ordained. His theology was not signed off by the Sanhedrin. He wasn't operating under some other rabbi. He had no human authority. He was a revolutionary. And so in our reading today, we read in chapter 20 and verse 1 that a delegation approaches him of leaders, temple courts, priests, the chief priests, the elders. They come up to him as he's teaching. Can you imagine the scene? There he is in the temple and they kind of walk up to him and he kind of has to stop his teaching and they say, tell us by what authority you are doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, they say this, what, by what authority are you doing these things? What do they say it mean, these things? Well, the things that Jesus had been doing were really twofold. First of all, he had turned up in the temple and cleansed it. All right? We heard about that last week. He cleansed the temple. He, he just walked in and just cleansed it. And then he now sits there and teaches. And he, he sets himself up during this holy week, this final week before his death, as the resident teacher there in the temple that he has just cleansed. 
And they say, by what authority are you doing these things? See, previously he had attacked their theology, but now he actually attacks their physical domain. He turns the temples over, the tables over in the temple, uh, and he purges it of their, their sinful practices. I remember when I did an assembly at May Hill uh, Junior School some years ago, and, and some of our teenagers still talk about this, because um, I was telling this story of Jesus turning the temples. Some think a couple of girls might remember this. And I'd set a table up, all right, at the front of the, the room, and um, I'd made sure, I'd risk assessed, all right, so there was lots of space in front of this table with the children, and then I came to the dramatic moment and I physically turned the table over and, and it went crashing down. The kids were completely shocked. They're still shocked from it today. They're still, anyone wants to pray for healing for our kids from that experience that they had when I did that those uh, years ago. But, but Jesus would have been shocking to go in and just turn the tables over. I mean, I mean imagine it like this. Imagine if one day you were at your house and suddenly, a deep cleaning company van was to turn up on your driveway. Now, we, I remember commissioning a deep cleaning company once to go to a house uh, where we were concerned because it was absolutely a death trap in that house in terms of the, the mess and everything else that was in there and the hygiene and, and so on. And so we got a deep cleaning company to go and um, with permission to, to sort it out. And they turned the place upside down. They threw things away. They cleaned things. It took about five days to literally purge this entire house. And so it was gleaming and sparkling at the end of uh, their time there. Imagine if a deep cleaning company were to turn up at your house one day walk into your house and just start going through your house, throwing things away, things you thought, oh, excuse me, that's my precious, you know, that's throwing things away, sorting things out, cleaning things, scrubbing things, you know, turning the house upside down. You think, who gave you permission to just walk into my house and do this? You'd be like, you know, this is my house, guys. Imagine it, it would be a strange situation, wouldn't it? And then imagine if when they'd finished, they were to go around, knock on all your neighbours and invite them into the, to the lounge and then they sit down in the lounge and they start giving a seminar to everybody about uh, cleaning. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I mean, some of you guys might like this idea. Some of you might be quite keen. That's fine, come on in, do it. <laughs> Have a look at our drawers if you want. That's fine. But imagine if they would have set themselves up and now they're doing a seminar to all the neighbours who they invited and you, you didn't invite them in. And they teach, they're presuming to teach everybody. Well, Jesus turns up at his house, their house. The, the Jewish leaders thought it was their house, it was their temple, it, this was their show. And he turns up and he cleanses it. And then every day he goes in and starts teaching. And each day he goes in during that holy week and he teaches the people and they're listening to him and he's giving his truth. We're told in, in um, verses 37 and 38, it's very striking to me that uh, he, it says to them, every day he was teaching at the temple. 
Okay, so every day. And over in 21, chapter 21 and verse 37, it says there that every day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So this is probably Wednesday that he's now there. This is his last full working day before he's going to get arrested. And he's going in and he's spending his final days teaching. Just a quick note on this one, by the way, and we'll get back to the plot in a minute. But for those of you who are interested, this is, I think, very interesting. What does Jesus choose to do during the last week of his life before, his, before the cross? His bucket list. What's on Jesus' bucket list? Imagine if you were given a certain length of time to live. What would be on your bucket list? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What has Jesus got to do? He's got to teach people. All he wants to do, he wants to teach the truth in the temple every day. That's what he does. He goes in and proclaims the good news. It tells us that he is teaching the good news. He's proclaiming the good news. He was proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing, euangelion. He was proclaiming, evangelizing the gospel. He was telling them. Uh, he was probably teaching them things like what it said in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 52, uh, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And he would have been teaching them, your God reigns, Yahweh reigns. He's telling them the good news. I remember when I was uh, on a marathon last uh, weekend uh, and uh, at about mile 15, we went past this Methodist church and uh, there was a whole big crowd of Methodists outside their building cheering us on uh, as we went past. And I was with this pack of people and we were running and I saw them cheering us and I shouted the loudest voice I could as we went past. I shouted to them, Jesus is Lord. And uh, they all did a massive cheer back, which was brilliant. And the guys who were running with me were like, all being quiet and just focused. And I thought, I wonder what they're thinking of me right now. But that, that says it. That is the good news. Jesus is Lord. All hail King Jesus. He is Lord. And Jesus was proclaiming the good news. That's what he chose to do with his time. And it tells us that the list, the people were hanging on his words. I love what it says in verse 47. The people were hanging on his words. They hung on his words. They loved what he was saying. They were listening carefully to what he was saying. Can you imagine? There they are, and the guy next to, they're, they're listening to Jesus, and the person next to is on his phone, and, and he nudges and says, oh, look at this Instagram. And uh, the person goes, Shh, no, 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 I'm listening to Jesus. I'm listening to Jesus. You listen, listen to what he's saying. They're hanging on his every word. They're not distracted. They don't want to, anything else to get in the way because they want to just listen to these words of life that are coming from the Messiah. So Jesus wants to teach and the people want to listen. But that's not, well, let me just ask you, by the way, is that what we like to do with his words? Do, do we just want to hang on his words? Or do we let distract, distractions and other things stop us from doing that? But as they listen, the people are hanging on his words, but the leaders are not hanging on his words. In fact, the leaders want to hang Jesus on a cross. 
and it tells us that they have already decided in verse 47 that they want to kill him. They've already made up their mind about Jesus. They're not neutral. You know, people are not neutral. Scientists aren't neutral. Politicians aren't neutral. Actually, none of us are neutral. We've really made up our minds. People have made up their minds. And here we find that these people, these leaders, have made up their minds about Jesus. And so they're looking now for evidence. As they come up to question him, they're not coming up to learn from him. They're coming to trip him up. They're coming to gather evidence to support what they have already decided to confirm their preconceived bias against him. They've proudly set themselves up over Jesus as his judge. They're used to being in charge. They don't let anyone tell them what to do, thank you very much. This is their life. This is their house. This is their setup. It's my way or the highway. Jesus, we're coming to you to question you and to challenge you, and to look for evidence to help us to get rid of you. And Jesus responds and effectively actually says, no, this is not your house. This is God's house. This is my house. This is my ways. This is my words. And they take exception to that. And so in chapter 20, verse 2, they say, by what authority do you do these things? And in verse 3, he says, well, I'll ask you a question. This is a good rabbinical way of doing things, a good way that Socrates would do things. Ask a question back. Now, Jesus is not evading their answer. He's not trying to sidestep by not giving them an answer. Jesus is doing something absolutely brilliant and inspired when he asks this question. He's shining a light on their hearts. He's exposing who they really are. Though they appear to be very religious, they think they're judging him, but actually he's judging them by the question that he asks them. He says, tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from man? And so they get into a huddle. You can imagine these leaders, can't you? Get into a huddle, start talking. Whose idea was this to ask him that question? Look at this fine mess you've gotten us into now. Who thought of that question? Think, let's just think through the options. What, what could we say? What could we say in answer? Okay, well, we could say that it, John's baptism was from heaven. But what if we say that? Well, it tells us back in Luke 7 that the leaders had not believed John. They had not been baptised by John. The Pharisees had not been baptised by John. They did not believe John. So now, if they say that John was from heaven and John's baptism was from heaven, what they're doing is they're saying, yes, he is from heaven, but we haven't believed. We've rejected what God's doing. If they acknowledge that John's baptism was from heaven, then they are exposing themselves as being disobedient, unbelieving people who are not trusting God's ways and accepting what God's done and God's messenger. And so they can't do that. They realize because it would prove their, their hypocrisy. And furthermore, of course, if they acknowledge John's baptism, then they would have to also acknowledge Jesus. 
because Jesus and John were inextricably linked together. John baptized Jesus. John prepared the way for Jesus. John declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said that Jesus was greater than him, that he wasn't worthy to untie the sandals of of Jesus' feet. He's saying Jesus is superior. So if they were to uh, accept John, how much more should they accept Jesus, who John was pointing to? They can't accept that John is from God because they have to accept that Jesus is from God. And they don't. So what's the other option then? Well, we could say, oh, yeah, John's, John's baptism was from man. This whole thing is just made up. Now, that would actually be an honest answer from them. That would be a consistent answer for them to say, yeah, actually, we don't believe that John was from God, and therefore we don't believe that you are either. That would be consistent for them to say that. However, they're scared of the people. It says that they were worried that if they said that, they would be stoned to death. They were scared of being cancelled, of being destroyed by the crowd. And so what did they do? They gave a political answer. That's what people do, isn't it, when they are afraid of saying the truth. Give a, give a political answer. Find an answer that kind of just doesn't really answer the question. Just kind of wheedle your way through without answering the actual question. And that's what they do. They sit on the fence. They say, we don't know whether John's baptism was from heaven or from man. They're feigning ignorance. They don't want to discuss the facts. That would expose their inconsistencies. So they sit on the fence and say, oh, we don't know. Cowards. Liars. The Jewish leaders thought that they were the authorities, but actually they had lost all authority. They had forfeited by their compromise. They they didn't tell the truth. They were not believers and they were not truth-tellers. And it's tragic because Jesus says to them, well, neither will I tell you where I get my authority from. Basically, Jesus stopped speaking to them. That's a scary thing, isn't it, when Jesus stops speaking to us, to people. says, you don't want to learn, so I'm not going to teach you. And that's what is happening with these leaders now. Now, that's the story. That's what happened. Let me just apply it as we draw to a close. We can tut-tut at these Jewish leaders. We can think, well done, Jesus. You really slam dunked these leaders. We love the way you exposed them. Well done, Jesus. Great job. Okay, and we can see that. However, what about us? Today, Jesus still shines a light on us. Into the darkness you shine. He shines into our hearts. He shines into our lives. Suddenly, Jesus comes to his temple, as he did here, as Malachi predicted. Suddenly, Jesus comes to his temple and he asks us questions. And we should be honest about the answers. You see, the temple in the Bible is really at two levels. There is the temple, which was effectively the church, all right? We're told in Ephesians 2 that the the church is the temple. The the church is made of living stones. It's rising up. It's it's filled with the Spirit. It's the temple. The church is, is God's temple. And Jesus has authority over his church. This is his house. 
The church is his house. It's not ours. And the church so often has lost its authority because it stopped being under his authority. Churches have sold out and therefore they're dying out. Churches have lost their power because they've stopped submitting to God's power. See, listen, folks, to the extent that we will submit to his authority, to that extent, we will have his authority. But when we cease to submit to his authority in an area, we lose our authority because all the authority we have is delegated by him. He has all authority. He gives it to us as an entrustment, but only when we are submitted to his authority. When we cease to submit to his authority, we lose all of our clout. All authority has been given to him, and we need to submit to that authority, and then we will have his authority. If we compromise, if we cut corners, if we uh, reject bits of the Bible, if we don't accept his authority in any area, then we have lost his authority. And whatever group it is, that is the case. So we as a church, we want to be under him. We want to submit to him. We want to change our ways if there's anything, because it's his house, it's his church. And we, let's pray for the church across the United Kingdom and across the world right now, that, that God's church would choose to bow the knee before him, and that we would do that. And then there's, of course, an individual application to you and me. Because we also, as individuals, are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we belong to him as well. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 and uh, verse 19 and 20, uh, very powerful verses there. In 1 Corinthians 6, um, 19 and 20, It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And Paul applies that with all sorts of things. He says, therefore, therefore, do not commit sexual Sin, because that's sinning against the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just that. He lists all sorts of things. He talks about, um, he talks about uh, everything being permissible, but not everything being good. And uh, he, he lists things that are, are sinful. Um, for example, you know, uh, adultery, idolatry, uh, homosexual offenders, thieving, Greed, drunkenness, slander, swindlers. All these things are against us being submitted to him. We belong to him. We've been bought at a price. We're his. This house, this body belongs to him. And everything you are and everything that you live for, all of your life, actually, he's given it to you you as a trust But he holds you accountable and he wants us to submit to him in every area of our lives. So how about us? 
may ask that question. What is our attitude to Jesus? Do we sing the songs? Do we, we do the religious things? And then he speaks to us and we go, oh, no, but I don't want you to say that to me. I'm in charge. <laughs> if he says, you know, don't, I don't like you doing this, how do we respond? If he says, stop doing that, how do we respond? If he says, stop swearing like that, stop posting like that, stop looking at that, stop speaking like that, stop thinking like that, stop believing uh, or behaving like that. If he challenges us as he did, as he came into the temple, how do we respond? Do we react? Do we kind of go, no, no, that's a no-go zone, Jesus? Or do we say, yeah, you have all authority. I want to bow before you. I want to submit to you. Folks, as we draw to a close, as we come to just respond, I want to encourage us all to freshly yield ourselves to him, to trust him, to believe him, to be, obey him, to be willing to be corrected by him. I was just stirred. I felt I should just finish with this by some well-known verses in Proverbs 3. And it says this. I think this is a word for some of us, or for all of us, in fact, today. It's in Proverbs 3, uh, Scott. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Folks, if we fear God if we're not wise in our own eyes, if we're not arrogant, if we're not arguing against God, but if we're humble, if we're willing to trust him, then he will make our paths straight. He'll get us through difficult challenges. He'll give us the authority. He'll give us the help. He'll give us the anointing to do the things that we need to do because we're submitting to him. We're trusting him. We're believing him. We're doing it his way, not our way. When we do that, we can expect and trust for his blessing and for his help and his power to be with us. Let us pray together. Mm. I just want to encourage us as we pray for a moment to just come and submit everything to him. If there's anything we know we're holding out. I want to encourage you right now to lay it all before him. Lay every part of our lives before him. Lord, we, we give it all to you. Lord God, right now we, we say, all hail King Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And we want you to be Lord of our lives in every area. We've been bought at a price. We belong to you. What a safe place to be. What a wonderful place to be. But what a scary place to be as well. Because, Lord, you want every part of us to be yours. So, Lord, we give it all to you.
We want to trust you, Lord God, for your blessing and your help. We want to know your authority in our lives because we've submitted to your authority. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.